Hey, this is Brian Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups. Quality guitar pickups handcrafted with love down in Detroit City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Storyfora, the writing services and content agency providing people with communication solutions of all sorts. For writing services of any type, go to Storyfora. That's P-H-O-R-A, Storyfora.com. All right, welcome to part two of two with the very talented and always entertaining Rick Emmett. Last week, we talked about his new book entitled Lay It on the Line. And this week, we talk about some of the other stuff that he's been working on, including new versions of some old Triumph classics and a new project called Ten Telecaster Tales. And guess what, folks? Rick was kind enough to give us our own exclusive little taste of some of these songs. Check it out. All right, we are back. Rick Emmett's domicile, and uh, I'm looking at a rather large horse on a wall right now. It's called Eli. Yeah, he wasn't Eli when he first started, and he had four legs when he first started. (laughs) So it's a carousel horse from the turn of the century, last century, so maybe 1880, 1900, somewhere around there. And uh, he had been dipped and stripped. And uh, at the time, my wife and I, you know, we had a, a lady helping us decorate our house. Mm -hmm. And we had very large common areas in the old house, uh, a big vestibule and then a large area at the bottom of the stairs and then a landing up at the top of the stairs. And she said, where all the bedrooms kind of, you know, had doors that came out onto this big landing. And she said, well, you could get like a carousel horse and put it on a pole up on the, up on that landing. It'd be kind of a cool piece to have there. Well, I don't know. Go and see if you can find us a good horse. And if you can, we'll consider maybe doing this. Yeah. And so when we saw the horse, I, we, we, the staircase went up and it, it was a switchback. And so there was a really high wall that ran all the way up to a, like a cathedral style ceiling over the staircase with a chandelier in it. And I went, what if we cut the horse in half and we stuck him up on the wall? <laughs> and they went... <laughs> Well, that's a weird idea. That's that's a rock star kind of idea. <laughs> but and I went, I'd like to paint him, and because he'd been dipped and stripped. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I I hand painted him, put him on a Black and Decker power uh, table. You know those little workbenches. Yeah, yeah. And with a couple of hooks to hold him, and and then I painted him up. So and I put the E because Emmett. Of so course. I put the E on his saddle. Yeah. You, know, you folks can't see it. It's a but huge there's, E there. There's a, you could go on YouTube and see it, find a picture <laughs> of him. I think. Anyhow, so then he was on the wall and and in the studio uh, downstairs when we moved here, I I I would be sitting there writing and I would be wondering about things, and I went, yeah, and I would look at him in the face and I'd go. You're like my wonder horse. <laughs> and then I go, you have an E on your saddle. You, you're you Eli, the wonder horse. Now, Eli was the prophet that flew in the chariot that was on fire, right? Yeah. Like chariot of fire, you know, Eli was the, the prophet. So I went, ah, horse that's a prophet, that's a wonder horse. That's, I kind of like this metaphor. It's tying a lot of things together. It is. So, yeah. And he never had a tail in the old house. I noticed that. Yeah, he had peacock feathers coming out of his arse. So <laughs> and so when he, when we moved here, that was one of the art projects that I undertook. That's wire and 
mostly dry decks and polyfilla and and plaster and stuff that I and then I painted it and then I made that kind of so it almost like you know Medusa's head. <laughs> it does look like that. Yeah, the Hydra. But I was trying to sort of uh, mimic what was already on his mane. Mm-hmm. As you can, as you're sitting there, you can see that yeah. his, his mane already had a kind of a. Yeah, so it didn't turn out quite as good as I wanted. But when I tried to make it as thick as the mane, it would always just fall apart. So I had to make it a little more windy. <laughs> it had to have a few more gaps in it. I like in it in order to stay in place. Anyhow. And I, his eyeballs, by the way, they came from a taxidermy place. No. Yeah, those are eyeballs that you would p- put in a bear or something. Really? Yeah, they're just glass things. Oh, no, like they, wow. You know, obviously, it was, they were just wood. I drilled those out and I put those in. And, How about that? And I had to make all of his teeth, too, by the way. What are they made from? Uh, like, you know, I don't know, polyfilla. <laughs> just carve them out of, like, yeah, some kind of. Dry decks, you know. <laughs> yeah. Eli the rock and roll horse. Yeah. Wow. You can edit that story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. <laughs> so that's just one of the interesting things to look at in what what is called Eli's loft sometimes, I think, right? Yes. This is this is the first time I'm seeing this room. And um, well, we, we I think the last time I was here, this room was half its size and it was not it's hard to describe for people who can't see it. But like it's a it's multi-level. There's a room that was pre-existing and then there's steps up to a whole new area here that yeah. we're in right now. And uh, it's decorated with all sorts of triumph memorabilia and instruments and commemorative plaques and it's it's got a and guitars 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 oh, they're yes. everywhere they're on stands in and around and there's a, a wall that's completely dedicated to them and for those folks you know that haven't seen a picture of it online i have a writing desk where uh it's kind of like more like a cartoonist's or a, a drafter's desk yeah, it's a, because yeah. i do a fair amount of sketching still and, and uh it's an easy way to uh, write, and then of course you can prop it up, and it can be a music stand if you if you want. Mm-hmm. But I also have music stands and, and a little a bench that has uh, three guitar amps sitting on it, which I use for mostly I only use one amp for recording. But uh, and then I have a little desk that has uh, two of mini amps that, mm-hmm. that sit on it. So there's five amp guitar amps in total, uh, but there's about fifty guitars in here. Yes, and. Uh, by the way, we're sitting on on two little sort of rolly chairs that the arms can flip back I like because that. if you were a guitar player, now your guitar won't clank against it. So I bought those especially when I decorated. But the, there's also two green stressless reclining chairs that have. Uh, and I thought when you were coming, I thought maybe Brent and I'll sit in the in those. We'll we'll set it up that way. But I did a podcast once with my son. Yeah. We, we shot a little thing and we did them and we got kind of lazy and tired. Tired and... Yeah. We were, <laughs> we were kind of getting really relaxed. I see you that. Know? I thought, no, maybe I should be sitting upright a little yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because those recline. And so... But I, I, when I'm watching TV, I, I watch a lot of sports up here. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a huge baseball fan, and so you and I have to be finished pretty soon because the Jays are playing. <laughs> That's, <today>. right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, there's a stained glass window in yes. the in the older portion of the room, the lower portion of the room, which th- that came from the old house, 
Uh, and that was uh, made by an American draft dodger named Happy. No way. Yeah. And that's got sort of, uh, Jeanette and I think of our family symbol as a fleur-de-lis kind of, mm-hmm. the whole uh, faith, hope, love kind of thing. And um, yeah, so the room we're in, it's got windows all around. The, the big thing, I wanted a studio where I would have light, mm. natural light all mm-hmm. the time. Yep. And, f- and from uh, mostly a Western and Northern direction, so the the sun sets like right directly this way yes. and comes through and into here, into the space in the afternoons. Yeah. And this has a cathedral ceiling. So for those of you that can't see it, and it's got a mandala on one wall opposite the, yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah. It's a, oh, it's there's a, a trunk place. here. <laughs> there's a story behind this. It's kind of functioning as the uh, coffee table. Yeah. Uh, that trunk was uh, my great grandfather came from England Wow. And brought his tools in that pine no. trunk. Yeah. He was a woodworker kind of laborer guy. Wow. And so that was his tool chest. Uh, and uh, I refinished it. It was been in my parents' basement. And then when we, when I moved out and had no furniture, I refinished that. And and, and then uh, when, I, when we were going to build this room, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that trunk. You know, but center ice kind yeah. of, and have that be the, the kind of the coffee table for it. So that's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay. So we are uh, going to talk about a couple things new versions of old Triumph songs. Yeah. So a friend, a guy that I met at Mike Shotton's studio, mm-hmm. a guy named John Carroll, he has a thing called Destiny Tours and he, coordinates Mm -hmm. uh every year when the canadian contingent goes to the world hockey junior championships that's kind of his baby okay and so he puts those packages together no matter where it is Mm. Uh, so this year it's in sweden and uh, mike shotton had played in uh, the band that they get to come to play the new year's gig for the canadian families and friends and blah 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 so they said rick you, you got to come. It's it's a lot of fun. It'll be great, you know. And I went, oh, I'm retired, you know. I don't really do that kind of thing. Anymore. No, Rick, you got to come. It's like, it's going to be great, you know. Come on, we, we can do some of the old Triumph songs. Ah. And I went, oh, geez, you know, I don't know. I, get, I, they're, I can't really sing them in the keys that they're in anymore and stuff. Uh, over the course of time, John had asked me, would you like, he does a thing called, now he converted the band thing that plays those gigs into calling it the Canadian Cover Crew, and mm-hmm. he makes set lists that are full of cover songs that he wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And so he says to Shotton, hey, will the band learn these songs? And Mike goes, oh yeah, we learn them, sure, no problem. So they go, uh, sometimes John goes, hey, you know what? My wife and I, we sing in the church choir or whatever. Can, can, can we sing harmonies on something? If we come into your studio, could we do a cover version of... And so at one point they said, Rick, would you like to sing the lead vocal on the song Eleanor Rigby? Wow. And we'll get a string quartet and we'll play. So there's a video that is online, Canadian cover crew, it's on YouTube. And it's me singing Eleanor Rigby with a string quartet. Wow. And yeah. And so then he goes, how about we get a string quartet for Sweden? You, You come and you can do your triumph songs with a string quartet in Sweden. I go, okay, you're making this so that it's hard for me to say no, you know. Can, can I have a hand in, re, oh, absolutely, change the keys, do whatever you need, re, restructure the songs. I go, okay. Mm-hmm. So now, you and I had mentioned earlier 
something I'd gone out to Penticton this summer. Yes. And I had done a songwriting workshop out there for uh, uh, Robert Ott. I had an acoustic guitar, and at one point I just picked it up and it was chit chat, yeah, being asked questions. And then I said, "Well, I don't know, song, hold on." And I played a little bit of it, mm-hmm. and that clip ended up on YouTube. And then I did a little bit of Magic Power, and but I did it in a new key. I'd learned it. I said, I can't sing it in the key of D anymore. I'm dropping it down to the key of A. Yeah. Like I dropped it down a whole fifth, and it works great. Oh. <laughs> and it, it's it's I can really Pete Townsend it up. You know, I Good. can really bang the crap out of the acoustic guitar. So um, I I did Magic and Lay It. Yeah. Uh, Lay It, I kind of did more of a kind of a Clapton redid Layla kind of thing to that. So okay. it's still in its same key, but I dropped the melodies a lot yeah. and made it so that I'm kind of singing it a little sexier, a little bluesier. It's got a kind of a real, like I can play just a little yeah, please. vibe of, of the way the chord changes sound. I'm just banging my head on the microphone there. <laughs> like it, it has this kind of, the, the, the song already always had this kind of a, So it still has that, you know, in the tune. But this, these changes, ah. there's a kind of a, right? So the song kind of lives in that ballpark park now. Okay. Et cetera, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it kind of sits in a nice place, right? It yeah. has that kind of groove. Yeah, so that's going to have strings now, you know. And and um, magic is in this key. So instead of being... It's here. It's come down quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes it so... It's on an acoustic, not an electric, but you get the idea. Yeah. That's the Townsend thing. You can just really beat it up in A. You got so many open strings. Yeah. See, that's cool because Allied Forces was very much influenced by Who's Next. It sure was. Yeah, Magic Power. I mean, there was... Pete Townsend was in that song. He probably should have got a co-writing credit, but... <laughs> Yeah, I I can remember my friend Andy Brackus had that album and we would be at his place and we would listen to Nights in White Satin, Moody Blues, A Deep Purple in Rock, which you told a story about with your daughter earlier. Um, Not on, not with the the tape recorder running, but uh, his daughter, his 15-year-old daughter just discovered the album Deep Purple in Rock, which that was a formative record for me. You know, huge, huge. Hard Loving Man. By yeah. Richie Blackmore, yeah, and he literally, apparently, when he did that uh, solo in the studio, in the studio, he threw his guitar on the floor and was kicking it and standing on it with for the wangy bar, oh, the stuff that you're hearing, yeah, at the end, the howling. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. he was doing a Jimi Hendrix. He was just wow, <laughs> yeah, destroying the guitar. That's cool. Yeah, that wow. sort of was one of Richie's things in that era. Wow. Um. Yeah, but uh, Nights in White Satin. Um. 
uh, and who, who's had. next. Uh, and then we had a softer side too. I don't think there was tea for the Tillerman, but there there might have been some Cat Stevens or some Carol King or Joni uh, Mitchell. Uh, yeah, Joni Mitchell. My, Andy wasn't as much of a Joni Mitchell guy, mm. but uh, ooh, Seals and Crofts nice. was an album that we liked. Yeah, yeah, and that that got a fair amount of play. That one that had uh, Summer Breeze. Summer Breeze makes okay. me feel fine. Oh, yeah. yeah, really, really beautiful harmonies and. And there was a song on that that I learned called Paper Airplanes. Mm. If, and I can't remember any of it now, but if I had the lyric sheet in front of me, I'd go, oh, yeah. I liked that song. That was a cool, it was a story song, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Blah, blah. Okay, so. Cool. Well, yeah. thank you for playing that. Ugh. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. <laughs> okay, so. A lot of new instrumental acoustic pieces that you've been working up. So there is a new record, and I think that you're going to call it Ten Telecaster Tales. Is that right? That's the working title at this point. Yeah. You know, and um, Brent, you're a, you're a, a man of the digital age Certainly. with your podcast and whatnot. So you know that this world, it kind of, <laughs> there's really no deadlines anymore. It's kind of, no. things just kind of float along. And then whenever they get done, they get done. And whenever you're going to put them out, you put them out. And they leak out. They don't necessarily have to have a gigantic marketing campaign that's a large record company behind it going to make it happen in the in its release. So I've been working on this stuff. Uh, let me give you all the back background backstory for this. I got on this kick about Telecasters. Mm-hmm. And I had been a Les Paul guy for live gigs. Those were my guitars, Gibson Les Pauls. Mm-hmm. And I had an endorsement with Gibson and, and, you know, towards the end and stuff and, and uh, of my touring days. Those were my guitars. Mm-hmm. But when I you know, started uh, sitting around and retired and COVID came and now we're sitting around and we're sitting more than we're standing to play. And I realized the waist of a Gibson Les Paul, it, it's too narrow. Mm. It, the guitar doesn't sit comfortably on my lap. And I had always been a guy that kind of liked arch top, as you can see from my collection here. I liked big arch top style jazz guitars. They sat, you know, nice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started to realize, and of course I'd always really admired uh, Ed Bickert as a guitarist. And he'd always had this old beat up, you know, Fender Telecaster caster guitar yep. that he'd played. It was the only guitar he played for almost all of his career, which is not true. He, he did have a Gibson Birdland that he played for a while and was still living out West. But by the time he'd moved to Toronto, all he ever did was play the, the Telecaster. You, you can make the whole world happen on one guitar. You don't need 50, <laughs> even though this room yeah. stands as testament to the fact that, <laughs> oh, apparently the guy needs a <laughs> mandolin and a banjo and a, <laughs> a violin that he never touches. And, yeah, so I have uh, I have a disease. You know, there's no question. You do. Yeah, uh, but uh, I got on this Telecaster kick. So I had a, a this guitar here. This I'm pointing to a, a kind of an orange, beat up, horrible thing. It, it's it's a Bickert Deluxe. I had mm-hmm. uh, the neck and the body made in the states, and a friend of mine named Mike Smitty Smith who did the pickup for me and helped sort of curate the project mm-hmm. so that I, because I never thought Pickard's guitar would ever come for up for sale. I thought the family would always just keep it, which that didn't happen. The guitar came up for sale oh. and it went for sale. And I think they got like 32,000 us dollars for it overnight. Kind of thing is like, wow. Yeah. The 12th threat in Toronto put it up. And I think that's what it was. I think I've got my facts straight. 
And, you know, I never would have paid that kind of money for it anyways. You know, like, like 30 grand? Are you nuts? Um, but I, the guitar, I think the guitar is worth 10 times that, to be honest, in the market. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that iconic to me. Mm. Anyhow, I got one of my own that I built, eh? Okay. So that started my whole Telecaster thing, which is not to say that I didn't have a Telecaster thing already because the white one that you see sitting beside it, I, I already had that one. Okay. It was from my friend Lee Olson. And I've got two other tellies that are sitting over there in the racks. So it's not like I don't have other tellies. But I decided I'm going to design a telly. Mm-hmm. And your finger is pointing. Yeah, add it. Yeah, and and before you go on, the reason why is because in the headstock it does not say Fender Telecaster. It says the Rick Emmett Collection, which is really cool. Yeah, it's a Rick Emmett Custom TLP. So what I did was decide, okay, what is it about the Gibson Les Paul that I love so much? I love the string plane of it. I like the bridge height. I like the ergonomics of the guitar in terms of the way that it plays because of its scale length, which is twenty four and three quarter inch scale length. Mm-hmm. Fender guitars, Telecasters, are 25 and a half. They're longer. So I go, hmm, I don't think I want the longer scale. I like the shorter scale. It makes the guitar a little more buttery to play for your hands. It also gives the tone a little bit more of a kind of a rich warmth as opposed to that twangy. Fender guitars have that twang, you know? And so scale length is one of the things that makes that happen. Just Not just scale length, but it's one of the things that contributes to that. So I went, okay. Smitty, Mike Smith, can you help me? I want to make a Gibson scale length, Gibson bridge height kind of guitar, but everything else, and Gibson pickup style, but I want everything else about it to be like a telly. And he said, can do. Let's let's design it. And so we did the design up, and a guy in Oakville named Garen DeCassian, who has a company called Lucin Guitars, Lucin, Lucin Guitars, L-O-U-C-I-N. So he's in Oakville. He did this for me, and it took uh, a long time because it started during COVID, and it was like, oh, this is going to take forever. And then uh, the guitar would come, and I would go, no, you didn't get the headstock right. No, you don't have the – no, this is not exactly right at the back of the neck. Uh, Oh, I don't like the way you finish the frets. Oh, wait, maybe it should have a pick guard. Oh, maybe it should be a black pick guard. Like it kept going through change after change after change. But finally it evolved to the point where I went, that's good. I will take delivery. Yes, it's fine. And so uh, then I said, I need to. I'd been writing guitar pieces. Now, part of the backstory is we're sitting here in the studio. This was uh, this house was under renovation and my wife and I had to move out. Right. We were living in an Airbnb barn, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three quarters of a mile down the road, checking in from time to time on our contractors as the thing just, you know, was getting out of control. But the, the that guitar was, and I started to write, the pieces when I was in the barn. Oh. And so then I came here and I've been working on the pieces and finishing the pieces up. And so I've got 10 pieces that I feel, uh, you know, I'm getting pretty confident about. Mm-hmm. And after you and I finish today, my engineer, Steve Skingley's coming and he's bringing the computer so that uh, we've already done a couple of sessions, but we're going to get down to it. The computer needed a little bit of revising and, and uh, needed a new hard drive. <laughs> and so, uh, but then, you know, that's why the amp is set up with the with the mic on it and everything, because we've been doing some recording. And that was the so, mic that I used last time I was here. It's a, an Allied Forces used mic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's got some history. Oh, yeah. An old, an old Shure 57. Okay, so you want to hear a little bit of these guitar yes, pieces? Sir. Oh, dear. Uh, what should I play for you? Okay, so um, here's w- w- something that's happening. 
uh, on Friday, I'm going to the Metalworks and I'm going to be shooting a video there and I'm going to be using this guitar because Smitty, his company, MJS Pickups, I'm going to demo these pickups. So, you know, just do little snippets of some of these new pieces because yeah. I think, hey, what better way to tease the fact that I got some new songs? I'll throw some little bits into the into the video. Right. So, uh, you know, I may scuff these up a little today, but because I don't have to have them in actual video form until Friday. But um, so I've still got a couple of days, but I've been working on these things. So the first one I'm going to play for you is just a little mm -hmm. verse of a thing called So Pushy. Okay. Okay. And it's called, it's entitled that because it has a lot of pushes in the construction of the thing. But it's also, this is kind of who I am. I'm a little bit pushy. I'm a little bit ambitious. <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes here. All right. So. All right. Now that would have you know three verses with a a little bridge in it, but yeah. that's just a taste, you know, the intro and the first verse. So. Fantastic! It sounds great. I'd like yeah. a little flourish at the end too. Yeah, these. <laughs> I I got the, the, the. I've been honing my own sort of style yeah. by writing these pieces. Yeah. And a lot of things recur from piece to piece. So that little the, those oh. rasguiato kind of strummy little things with my nails, like I go and get acrylic nails oh, i know yeah yeah put on so that i can play with my nails yes um and yeah so that piece but a lot of the stuff has got a lot of r&b in it too there's mm -hmm. a they're very sort of r&b groove based kind of little guitar pieces yeah that's one of the things that which is not to say i mean there's pieces that are standard kind of classical like a You know, there there are some pieces that have that kind of and but they eventually get to the point where they're going you know, they're getting <laughs> stuff that's happening, you go, huh, what happened there? Well that's Emmett, you know, that's his thing. He he can't help it. He starts strumming away. There's a, a piece, uh I'm trying to think of you know what I want to play for you. Just little excerpts. One of the things I'm putting a capo on the second fret here now. Because this a uh... give that a little tug. Mm -hmm. 
So that it starts like that, kind of a classical. Now, this would probably have phasing or or some kind of chorusing or flanging on okay. it. I'm just doing it clean so you can hear it. But I would process it up after because I kind of got on a kick. I was listening to the Joni Mitchell Hajira album. Yes, I love that record. Yeah, the guitar sounds on that are really lovely. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I kind of went to my engineer. Hey, can we do this? He said, oh, yeah, we can do this, you know. And we can either do it post, like yeah. you just record them clean and then you fiddle with them. And, of course, we live in the digital age. You can do anything to anything now. Yeah, yeah. You know. Or, you know, I record them stereo. Uh, which is probably something that she did, and she used jazz chorus amps and mm -hmm. chorus pedals, and you know that was the early days of those effects. Anyway, so that piece that I just played, that little excerpt, it ends up being in a thing that's gone. See you hear it coming back? Yeah. But it's got all this. And it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. One, two, three, four. So this waltz. Thing, I was gonna say it's waltzing almost. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a waltz that's going on in that. So everything kind of has dancey kinds of vibes to it or groove things. So there's another one. called by Burleytown Groove. That's incredible. So the, the chorus of that was... Now you're just showing off. <laughs> well, when you're doing guitar pieces, that's kind of part of it, right? I mean, I love it. It has to have a little bit of sort of fire and spice, and yeah. Well, what else? About, oh, here's one. Uh, um, this one I'm calling now. The working title is "Funky Monkey Scratching." So uh, this shows off. If, uh, both pickups on at the same time. So okay. this gives you a slightly different tone out of the guitar. So you can hear it's just kind of a skinnier kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah.
that's my favorite one. <laughs> oh, true. He, wow. I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun to play. That main riff is really cool. Yeah, when I was uh, trying to write the backstory, and of course, one of the things, I never just do anything half-assed. Right? <laughs> Let's get my whole ass in there. Um, because I have these 10 Telecaster tales, and they're very specific kinds of story songs, mm-hmm. uh, pieces, then I decided, well, I should write the stories of them. I should write poems about them. I should see if I can't come up, because um, there should be a companion something to go along with the fact that these are stories, they're tales, yeah. and I'm a storyteller. So certainly I've been honing that by writing poetry books and memoirs. And So I was thinking about the, the whole thing about being a Canadian guitar player, you know, personally, autobiographically thinking, and how there's a, there's a bloodline that exists in Toronto guitar players. And the Telecaster has a lot to do with that because it was kind of like one of the Holy Grail guitars because of Robbie Robertson. Right. And playing with, with uh, Ronnie and, 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 you know, just the, those roots. Robbie Robertson was kind of the man mm-hmm. in the Toronto scene at a certain point in time when a guy named Dominic Triano was coming up. Okay. And Donnie Triano kind of, you know, hey, Robbie Robertson, I'm going to supplant him. I'm going to become the, you know, the, the hottest gun in town kind of thing. Mm. And Donnie was a telly guy. And then all the Toronto guys were going, you know, they'd seen, you know, the Mandala or, or you know, uh, the, the bands that Donnie was in, Bush. Mm-hmm. And they went, you know, Donnie, he's trying, oh, he's telly, you know. Hey, I heard that Donnie Triano baked his telly in his mother's oven, you know, like covered it in something. And to get those, those stories would circulate, right? Yeah. So all of those things came to me, you know, over the years like that. It was part of my development. The first good guitar that I ever bought was a Telecaster. When I decided to become a working man, you know, I was still in high school, but I'd saved up my shekels and I went and I bought a, a Fender Telecaster and a little Fender Pro reverb amp and, and I started jobbing uh, Jewish weddings and bar mitzvahs. And yeah, so a telly was always a big part of, of uh, what I was. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so um, anyhow, so, you know, writing the stories of, of these tunes and, and that thing, that funky monkey thing that you like. That style of playing, this kind of. Love that. It's James Brown. It's, exactly. you know, it's, it's like this. I could listen to that all day. Yeah, yeah. Steve Cropper. Yeah, that kind of R&B. So that was at the heart of Toronto guitar playing hmm. on one level. I mean, obviously, along comes, you know, Hendrix and Clapton and British Invasion. And, and you know, now everybody's chasing other things, too. Mm-hmm. But that was a pure thing, that R&B. And part of it was because you got Motown from Detroit. Right. You got... You know, stuff that's leaking up from Buffalo, you know, when we're not that far from New York. Like um, when I was a kid, I could go down to the Colonial Tavern and you could see touring acts, you know, jazz acts, R&B acts. They'd make their pit stops on Young Street in the bars right? on their way to someplace else. And that kind of music was around, that kind of blues, you know, R&B. So it, it's a part of who I am 
and I'm finding now as I write these pieces, that's starting to come out. That's part of the story that's in these pieces. So when I'm, you know, playing these kind of... That's, you know, that's that whole Robbie Roberts and Donnie Triano kind of... Yeah. Would it be fair to say that Rick James contributed to that a little bit? He was a part of that scene for sure. Um, James was like, he was in a band with Neil Young. Yeah, that used the Minor to, Birds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, you know, I, in those days, I think the scene was sort of small enough mm-hmm. that kind of everybody kind of had a sense of everybody else. You know, there was a so that you did get a kind of a cross pollination of horn funk bands, yes, R and B bands, but they would be playing a place, and then you know the Ugly Ducklings were coming in, or you know uh, Kensington Market. Right. Those bands were they were not. They were decidedly not R&B funk, but there was enough sort of cross-pollination that audiences were seeing it from night to night. If you went down to the exhibition in 1966, Chum probably had a little stage that had bands playing on it, you know. You'd probably see a horn band, and then you'd see the Staccatos from Ottawa, Mm. a vocal band. And then you'd see, you know, whatever. I mean, I went in 67. There was a thing called Time Being, and I got to see Buddy Guy open for the guess who so i got to see buddy guy play a whole set you know crazy great blues guitar oh yeah wild out of this world kind of stuff and then randy bachman you know doing wow yeah that was before taking care of business of course but yeah you know what a treat yeah amazing such a such a different time it was wasn't it just wow but you know there's a story in my book where i go 1967, Randy Bachman, time being, and I'm standing there, and I, you know, I'm 15 years old, I don't know, and watching him and thinking, someday maybe I could do that. And 11 years later, Triumph played the CNE Grandstand. Wow. Yeah. That's Pretty amazing great. when you think, only 11 years? You know, that, wow. You know? Yeah. But when you do a memoir, it keeps delivering those little hammers on your head, like mm-hmm. where you're going, really? And you sit down and you look at the, you know, you do the math and you go, that was only 11 years. Wow. You know? Yeah. Crazy. Wow. All right. Well, do you want to play us out with something? I think, is there anything more uh, that you want to... Let me see. What should I... What can I play? Uh, you want a little jazz on the way up? Yes, please. So something something smoky? It's a little... Um, this is one of the hardest things to play. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it... It is kind of part of my wheelhouse. This is kind of like the suitcase blues wheelhouse, oh. but this is in a different. This is not a ballad, so they, I gotta walk this because everything in this new stuff is about groove to me. Yes. So this is a walking groove, you know, mm. a walking four okay. bass kind of thing that has to keep going. I also had to modify this to try to create the chunk, the small chunk that I will use in the video. Mm-hmm. So I may bugger it up because I'm, you know. Trying to rearrange in my head as I go. But anyways, it's it's called um, G-Wiz. Okay. Okay.
A dizzying display, my friend. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had a little uh, brain cramp in the middle of that one. I guess when I shoot the video, I'll have to go, <laughs> take two, <laughs> take three, and then half hour later, take 67. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, this is fun. This was I always fun. like doing this with you. Yeah. We'll do more. Okay. This is fantastic. I love coming, and you're a very gracious, hospitable host. You got lunch today. You didn't have to do that. Oh. <laughs> right? Next time you come, you have to bring the food. I will. Yeah. Okay. I will. All right. Listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, sincerely. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Good. All right. And, you know, even though this wasn't a Christmas one, Merry Christmas Merry to Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Usually, I do the Christmas shows. <laughs> right. So, you know. You're probably getting this one right in the heart of the fall, but yeah. Yeah. How long does it take you to turn these around? Uh, I could get this one up Tuesday, probably. Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to. Well, happy Halloween. Oh, we're not even there yet. <laughs> <laughs> happy October the 8th, there everyone. You there you go. <laughs> okay. All right. See you, man. Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>